Welcome back to another episode of the One Percenter Podcast with David Nurse. And this week we have on Scott Strap. Scott is different, but different in a way that is very refreshing and very real. He doesn't care what you think about him, what the world says he has to be, or even what this industry says is the best way of doing business. He gets up on a stage with a man bun and jeans and not only blows you away, but changes the way you look at business. Hence why this legend just got inducted in the Speaker's Hall of Fame. Not to mention Forbes.com named Scott one of the top five social media influencers. In this episode, Scott and I dive deep into how to unlearn the old ways and consistently attract and engage the right customers you are looking for. How to build your personal brand in a way that is genuine, honest, and impactful. When you speak at Pepsi, IBM, Microsoft, and many, many more, you learn to understand why Scott says you might not know who who he is when he steps on stage, but you sure won't forget him when he steps off the truth with this podcast as well one percenters buckle up and get ready to be blown away because here we go let's just talk about the un in general i mean i really think that's cool like i'm really big on going the opposite way of everybody if everybody's running in one direction my rules completely go the opposite direction yeah that's that's a lot of what you stand for and in unbranding unmarketing unselling where Mm -hmm. did that where did that develop well, the, the whole un stuff is, is, you know, obviously it, it works really well with my personality and the <laughs> contrarian style of what I do. But it was really, um, unmarketing was the start and that's the name of the company. And it was really, it all came to a head, I guess, almost 20 years ago when I was at, um, at work, you know, my last, uh, with air quotes job I ever held yep. and which uh, I always said entrepreneur is Latin for bad employee. <laughs> and and I was I was at work and um, uh, I was with at a buddy's office and uh, he, he we were talking uh, he got, we got interrupted by a phone call and he picked it up and it, uh, and somebody was trying to sell him something it was kind of a cold call and he kind of berated the guy on the phone and 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 like you know you know learn how to sell the you know wasting my time and he hung up the phone and we were. You know, we we're kind of like saying, yeah, I can't believe people are like that. And then he's like, hey, man, I got to go. I got to go do my calls for the day. And I'm like, wait, like you just ripped on a guy here for, you know, doing it to you. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I have something people need. <laughs> so it was this hypocritical kind of marketing I was noticing, which was like people were always marketing the way they didn't want to be marketed to. Um, more of this aggressive push. And I said, there's got to be people out there because I realized how I bought things and how it was people I trusted, I know, I liked. Um, and I said, okay, there's got to be a, a, a better way. And there's got to be more people out there that agree with that. And this was 20 years ago. This is before social media, and before um, a lot of things with you know smartphones and everything else. It was more of how do we position yourself as a um, uh, in a way of trust and, and, and expertise so when people have a need for you, or for your service or your product, they come to you naturally. And that's that's where the unstarted. I love it. <clears throat> it's developed into your books, Unbranding, Unmarketing, Unselling. Uh, did did you know from this time, like when you when you developed that un, did you know, hey, this is the way I'm going to go? Because you said your last air quotes, real job. How did that mm-hmm. transition? Because a lot of people are stuck in those type of situations where they – 
they don't necessarily want to be doing what they're doing. How did, how did you make that pivot in your mindset to be like, I'm going to go against it. I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to jump out there and I'm going to be bold. Because one thing about you, yeah. like two, two words that really define you and, and you're, you're becoming a, a good friend. So like it's, these are great words, being bold and mm-hmm. rebellious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's where, and see, the, the thing that I always have to mention to people when they, when I get used as an example for something is that this is my, this is me going with my grain. This is me naturally. And I had always found that, you know, there was not a tactic involved with where I went and I branched out. And I'll give you the kind of the origin story in a second of me leaving the, the work world. But people always kind of bring things like that up. And I have to be, um, I have to be careful with it because this is my, this is, this is my natural habitat. This is my natural environment, which is, standing up for things, pointing out things I don't think are right. And this is my personality. So it wasn't like there was a strategy of, well, now I should be contrarian. Now I should be this. I'm naturally this way. And I always found that when you go with your grain, it's obviously so much more natural versus trying to force everybody to sell a certain way or market a certain way. Because unmarketing, by definition, wasn't about marketing this way. It was marketing your natural way. And it was because I know people that would get like they would they would vomit before doing a cold call like they'd be so riled up and so upset and i mean like you know you know if you're, if you're throwing up that may not that may show you it's not your natural way of doing <laughs> something you know that may be something there right, because right. you know there's some people that are great at cold calling i have my opinions about them but there's some people who are great at cold calling <laughs> they smile and dial churn and burn snap and next cash and checks go do that that's you all right that's not me yeah. and that's not most people and there's gotta be so it's almost like marketing for the other people and that is what I was kind of looking at. But my origin of this was I was at a breaking point and I was the same thing. I was never a good employee. I have this, um, I have the Canadian inferiority slash superiority complex <laughs> all the time. And I was, it got to the point where, um, so Aiden, who, who's now uh, a young man who's, who's 22 now was, was uh, young at the time. He was four years old. Um, my, he's my, my, our oldest and our stepson. And, so Owen, who's my son, was about to be born, and I was the national sales training manager of a packaging company at the time. And I was flying on weekends and going to train distributors of packaging products. I flew around North America training people how to sell air, like I literally air people how to sell air, like a bubble wrap. Wow. Like uh, so, like if you if you think what you sell is hard, if you're listening right now, if you, if you think what you sell is hard, <laughs> I taught people how to sell air, man. Like this is, but but I was always traveling. But as a trainer. When I wasn't on the road training, there wasn't much for me to do at the corporate office. Like, there's only so many times you can redo PowerPoints and things like that. Right. So I, I went into the president's office and I said, hey, um, my son's about to be born and um, I, I'll still travel. I'll still do all the things. We were killing it with our sales training. It was going incredibly well. And I said, but I want to work from home. You know, I want to work from home and, and, um, and also like I was flying on Saturdays to save the company money. Because it was cheaper flights flying on a Saturday than, than it is like a Sunday because of like a Saturday night stayover and because it's different between business flying and, and uh, recreational flying. So it's cheaper tickets. And the president looked at me and called me Chris because who knows why. He's like, I don't know, Chris. Um, <laughs> we're just not ready for that work at home thing at the company. So like, like I said, this is, this is uh, 18 years ago. And he said, so we'll just see you, you know, when you come back. And I'm like, no. And I left. Awesome, man. 
And I had, but in Canada, we have parental leave. So I've taken four months of parental leave and I just said, I'm not coming back. And I had, I had 64 cents in the bank. Wow. And, uh, and it was, I do not advise anybody to do that. This was not like the smart path to do it. And, uh, but it, it, it makes you, you know, I, I will do anything to provide for my family and it makes you, you know, hungry. And I don't advise jumping without a safety net. I, I, I don't, I think it's a, I think it's, there's a smart thing to do where if you're not happy where you are and you do want to start your own thing, sometimes it's easier to start it as a side gig right, right. and start building it up. Um, uh, it's just that, you know, it doesn't, because we see the success stories and we talk about them and you and I are talking because of, of how it, you know, worked for me, but it doesn't mean it will. And um, uh, it was, it was also, it was very irresponsible of me. And would I do it again? I, yes, I couldn't take it anymore, but I, it's a, it, it's, it's not a, a fairy tale. You know, it's, it was really hard and, um, you know, went into huge debt and, um, you know, and then it went up and it went down like any entrepreneur's, you know, journey is never a straight line. You never talk to, I'm sure uh, you on your, on your show and everybody you've dealt with that at, anybody successful at the end of the day, not one of them has ever said in an interview with you, I'm guessing not one of them said, how was the journey? Not one ever answered. Oh, it was easy. <laughs> never, <laughs> never. Right? And you made it's, a great like, point too. And it's never linear either. It's no, it's not ups and downs and like what I'm doing now, what I'm doing now as just only doing like keynote speaking at conferences, this is what I wanted to do since I was 12. But the journey from 12 to now 44 wasn't remotely the plan. And it never is. Right. And people will see you up there and they'll be like, man, why can't I do what this guy does? I want to do what he does. But right. they don't see the 10 plus probably 20 years of absolutely yeah. grinding it. And it's, well, it's the quote. Well, and, and, yeah, well, this is the, this is the thing, Dan, I want to make sure that there's a huge thing. Cause I know we're on, we are, we're kind of cut from the same cloth here. And there's a word that really gets me really upset. It's a big trigger for me is when somebody says, Oh, he or she just did that. It's that word just, <laughs> and, and you, you, you demean everybody's effort anybody's effort, a team's effort, a company's effort, an individual's effort by saying, well, they just like for me, is they said, well, he just went on Twitter and tweeted some stuff and kaboom. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, right. okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, I always find the word just is a very, it's a precursor for something that's underhanded. And even when people don't know they're doing it, and it's like going to, to, to you, it's like, yeah, you know what? You just, you just teach some people how to shoot a basketball. okay yeah there is no just in life there is no just in things there's always more to the story there's always more behind the scenes and there's always more than the step you see in person yes and to reach the goals to reach your dreams like you had when you were 12 i mean you've been stride like everything you have been doing has been preparing you for the opportunity that you are able to do now so when they say that just it's it's the hours that everybody doesn't see that you prepare. And if anybody wants oh. to have something happen quick, they're not going to be right. ready for it if it happens quick. Like, I'd love to uh, be speaking in front of hundreds of thousands of people. But if, if I was put on stage right now to do that, man, I would fail big time. It's, it's knowing you, that yeah, you're you, ready for it. You need the reps. Exactly. And, every, and everybody needs the reps. And it's like, I remember when our boys, so out of our five kids, three are basketball fanatics. And yeah, um, and, and I remember um, Owen was out front. This is years ago. And he's basketball. And he's, he's, he's trying to do a, a Steph, a Steph dribble or something. And then he's like, and he's, 
he's kind of doing all the fancy. And I said, you understand you got to put in the reps. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, I'm, you, you want to know how many shots I'm guessing Steph has taken in his life on, in a driveway and on a court in a, you don't, nobody sees the just everything else in like basketball. You see the shot, you see the game winner, you see the, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the shooting percentage, you don't see them, the 10,000, the 50,000 shots somebody's yep. taken in their driveway and their practice to get there because no, Nobody wants to hear that in, in these success stories, right? We're in this world of like, what's the quick fix? What's the magic pill? Is it the red pill or the blue pill? <laughs> what do I take to jump the queue? I want to, how do I jump the queue? And there's, you know, there's strategies and there's efficiencies we can do, but there's just like, the, look, the only thing you're qualified to do if you want to get rich quick in something is you're only qualified to get conned by somebody selling a program that's not real. Yeah. There's no way around that. I think it's success in business. And you correct me if I'm wrong. I just think there's a, it's a combination of luck, timing, skill, and effort. Dude, I think you're, I think you're exactly right. Exactly right. Right. And I, and I call those. And all those things at the fire. Exa- yeah, for sure. Time, timing's an interesting thing too. Timing is definitely yeah. an interesting thing. But, but putting in what, like you, you mentioned the hours, and I call them the unseen hours. Are you going to be yes. in for basketball? Great example with Steph, because the people that I'll teach, even NBA players too, if they'll be like, well, Steph does this. You can't, like Steph has ruined the NBA and saved the <laughs> NBA. He like, gives everybody hope. He gives anybody hope that they can go out there and be like him. But that's what I'll tell, I'll tell people. If you haven't shot as many shots, three billion shots as Steph has, then you can't shoot yeah. like him. He's put yeah. in relentless un- unseen hours. And that's for me on stage, the same thing. So I look at my, so I've done 500 keynotes, give or take in the past nine years. And I look back 300 or 400 ago where I thought I was the bee's knees. Like I was the man on stage. (laughs) I look at that now and I'm like, oh, man, what am I doing? Like my timing's different. Even my voice tone is different. And and that's just through reps. I never have gone on stage and said, I got to work on this or improve this. It's just going through the reps. It's the muscle memory. It's the, it's the little nuances and 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 but you only get that through repetition absolutely man and and seeing you on stage and seeing you speak like it's just something that looks like wow this guy was made to do this but even though you were made to do it and even though like it's been your dream and it's it still is not does not just come naturally when you're up there it's um, thousands and thousands of hours it, it, yeah, it, 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 I always people people say you just look so casual up yeah. there and so conversational. I said, you know how long it takes to look like you didn't put any effort into something. <laughs> it's a good point. Yeah, here's one. So when I, I heard you talk that you, that you say you don't get nervous, so Correct. I'm the same way. Like I don't really care what other people think or what they say. So it's it's the the nerves in it just uh, divorce me from fearing failure. But mm. so many people get nervous or like you were talking about a cold call, like can't pick up the phone and make a cold call. Right. What have you done or is it just an aid in you? Like you get on stage in front of thousands of people and man, you are just like so calm. So oh, it, 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 for me, I, no, that, 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 here's the thing. This is one of the reasons why I can't teach <laughs> right, speaking skills. Like I can talk about the speaking business. I can talk about a bunch of things, but I can't teach somebody how to be funny. Yeah. And I can't teach somebody how to not be nervous because I never have been. I've always had a natural humor in my world. And I've also had a, a, a natural ability just to, like, it's the only reason I graduated high school and college was I could get up 
and speak. Like I'm, I'm, I'm 100% serious. This is the only way I can do this stuff. And I, but I've never, I'm missing a synapse in my brain that says, <laughs> you know, that, that, you know, pee your pants, you know, when you, when somebody yeah. gets on stage, like I, I was just in yesterday uh, doing a gig in Houston and there was a few of us, you know, doing our sound check. And one of the speakers said, you know, she's like, so, you know, how nervous do you get? And, and I'm just like, Oh, I, I don't. And she's just like, oh, God, I want to throw up every time I'm going to speak. And I have no context to that. And I and I know how fortunate that is. I know how um, um, fortunate I am to not have that because it, it's actually one of the reasons why I can do it for a living is because most people can't um, because of the fear of it and the nerves and that. So I don't have that huge because nerves and anxiety over something is a huge wall for people. And there's ways like I used to teach. Uh, communication and presentation skills at college. So I know the the basics that you can teach somebody to get less, the more you know your stuff, the less nervous you should be. And the more times you've done it, the easier it should be. But that's just theory. And it doesn't help you when you're about to walk out in front of 500 or 5,000 people and say, well, you should not be nervous now. You've done this 10 times. It doesn't, it yeah. doesn't change. You know, yeah. I know I know, like, and I'm sure you do, and I know um, um, musicians and athletes who still get those butterflies and who still get it every time they go play. And that's just, that's just your body. Sometimes you're also getting it ramped up. And I just think it's a mistake when I heard somebody say once, they said, you're not getting nervous before you go on stage to speak. You know, you're not working hard enough. And I'm like, come again? Like, I'm like, right, what <laughs> yeah. are you doing? I, I consider myself one of the hardest working men in showbiz, man. Like, I, I, I am doing this. I am all in on this. So I don't think we can take a thing where nerves are good or bad or they're a sign of this or that. It's your own thing. Again, it's your own grain. And maybe... Because you maybe be nervous because you don't think you have rehearsed enough, or maybe you're nervous because you have this imposter syndrome, and why do you have a right to get up yeah. on stage in front of these people? And I just have this reverse, sometimes Kanye West thing in my head of, you know, you should be honored by my lateness that I even show up. Like, it's just like, I so, so half of my brain is like, you're welcome. The other half of my brain is like, I can't believe I get to do this for a living. It's amazing, man. And what makes you just... Like so good at it too, obviously the preparation that you do, but you're very authentic. Like you're very, very authentic. And Thank you. To know you and just and listening to your speeches, you're just very. I mean, it's it's who you are. Um, Thank you. Man. Let's let's dive into this new book that you have out that's coming out, The Jackass <laughs> Whisper. I'm almost through it, and I'm telling you, after reading this, like I really think you and Allison need to do stand up comedy because it's 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 so funny, man. But it's it's Thank so you. true, like. I'm going through the 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 workout part and just like every everything with anything about the jackasses lifting weights it's it's <laughs> it's spot on. How did like uh Thank you man. Is is so this, I, I love all stories that you that you've came through yeah well so the funny thing is if you're writing a book called the jackass whisper how to deal with the worst people on earth at home at work and online even when the jackass is you when you're writing that book um you just keep a running list and for the past yeah. 10 years i've kept a running list of people when you, something annoys you I, I just look at them in my head i'm like you're going on the list and, you know you just <laughs> you start it's just this running list over the years of these people you're just like going you know you're just like you and you and you and i live on planes and in hotels yeah. you're like i got a whole smorgasbord of them to deal with but at the, at the end of the day the whole point of the book is like i think if you laugh you're willing to learn yeah. and i think that's actually where we're seeing some um some really great comedians come out these days where they're not only just comedians but there's a message and it's like uh mike Birbiglia, uh um uh, hannah gatsby there's a bunch of them where it's like there's actually content in there there's actually messaging in there other than just laugh and um, and that's what Jackass Whisperer is, because 
the moral of the whole book, like there's 125 types of jackasses named in the book, seven sections. Like you mentioned that mm-hmm. jackass goes to the gym, the jackass <laughs> has kids, the jackass goes to work, you know, you know all these type of things. So all of these at the end of the day, you know, each jackass is described and there's a jackass response or reaction and a whisper reaction. And the jackass reaction is like, if you want to continue the jackassery. And the whisperer is if you want to end it, but end it for yourself, because if you're always running into jackasses wherever you go, maybe I'm not saying I'm just saying maybe you could be one, too. And <laughs> if if we always blame others for our frustrations, if we always blame others for our lack of successes or lack of whatever, we don't have what we want in the moment or in life, we're powerless. Right. We're powerless because we've left our, our, our joy up to others. And I, if you've met other people in this world, they're, they can be very frustrating. You know, I, I find humans fascinating, but I would like to study them one day. And but a jackass in the, the term jackass for us is like it's the purveyor of pet peeves. It's not those you know, it's not actually the worst people in the world. It's just the everyday annoyances. And I think if we want to be a better world with each other, we have to be able to to realize that we are also contributing to it. Like, you know, we get cut off by somebody on the yeah. road and, and, and we drive up and we try to, whatever, we try to look at and see what they look like or, or whatever they are so they can fit the narrative while we're angry at them. So, oh, they're young or, or they're old or, oh, they're this race or, oh, they're this gender or whatever it is. But then when we cut somebody off, exactly, we, we give them the wave, right? Which, you know, the person outside is like, I can't believe they're waving, you know, so it's like this perpetual thing and it never stops until we stop it. But it started, even the title, the phrase, ignore your haters, you're not the jackass whisperer, has a wonderful little origin story. And this was like 2009. And it was at my height of my Twitter dominance. You know, I was the most influential person on Twitter in Canada until Justin Bieber showed up and ruined it (laughs) for all of us. And I'm on there. So I'm doing, I'm doing my usual tweet storm on there and, I had a guy in Toronto that I knew I'd met at some events. He just randomly sent a tweet out and he said, I just watched five minutes of unmarketing, which is my Twitter handle. I watched five minutes of an unmarketing speaking video and I didn't shoot myself in the face. Somebody, somebody should give me a cookie. And I'm like, what dude, what, where did I'm like, why would you like, I know this guy. And I, and I wrote, I replied, I'm like, man, why the hate? And he wrote back and it said, it's not hate, it's fact, deal with it. And this, is before, <laughs> and this is before the deal with it meme was even around. So I'm like, he just coming straight at me. And I'm like, what? I was so taken aback by this. And then somebody private messaged me and said, why don't you kill him with kindness? Why don't you win him over? You know, and I, I said, my, my job isn't to rehabilitate jerks online. I'm not the jackass whisperer. And then I, then, then I tweeted the phrase, just generally, not Adam, but just in general, and it blew up. It went nuts. And it's one of the most viral things I'd ever tweeted. And so it took off and we had made socks with the phrase on it and stickers and posters for like the other book kind of promos we didn't launch. And um, and then uh, Brene Brown and I were doing uh, a keynote at the same event. And um, this is when Brene's TED Talk was just taking off. Yeah. And, and so she had seen me speak and she heard the phrase and loved it. And we got along so well. So she actually put it in her book, Daring Greatly which then went on to sell, I don't know, 4 million copies. And and then so now if you Google the phrase jackass whisperer, it's credited to one or two people, me or Brene, because Brene quotes me in the book and in her talks. 
And so now we have the book coming out and somebody wrote, hey, why are you ripping off Brene Brown's line? I'm like, what the... no, but no, it's, oh, forget it. <laughs> you can't battle it, man. I used to be getting like some royalties, like 10 cents every oh, time. Oh, no. And I so, and we ad- we adore, she's such a, a wonderful yeah, like gift it. to this world. And, and so we decided, okay, it's now time for the book. Like we had done um six six books um at the time um this is our story this is our sixth one or eighth if you can if you count the three versions of unmarking that have come out but it's like this was it was just it was time like this is our first non-business book this is our first one that gets categorized in self-help which is <laughs> hilarious because it's it says called jackass whisperer but <laughs> but we decided to make it fun so we we put in the inside cover there's 125 check boxes you just check off which jackasses you are and you add up your score at the end and yep then you classify yourself are you a part-timer or all the way down to a founding member of club jackass and allison scores in there and my scores in there but it's it's just this it's all from like every section all seven sections have like an opening story uh, for each section and those are all what have happened to us and so every one of those jackass in that book allison or i have run across and i'm sure most of you have run across them too wow so you scores in here i gotta see what your score is what did did you end up being i'm sure i'm gonna end up being like a full classified i think allison was like 34 and i was like 28 and then, but Allison like didn't even, didn't include all of the mall section for her because she's like I would I I would be every jackass in that section. It's it's glorious. Isn't it interesting? It's kind of it's kind of like funny. It's that you find out what you are, but then it's also really, I mean, something that we need. It's almost like we don't listen enough. This is this is the jackass whisper. Almost teaches you like how to just slow down, listen, yeah, and be so I, I, fully consumed with yourself. I think, and I think also be fully consumed with always blaming others. And I That's think it, that yeah. when you you have this thing where there's a big difference between intent and reception of a message or a situation where like if, if uh, you know, you, we see a lot of people getting upset because, you know, like, like, like uh, two days ago, I was checking into the hotel in Houston for my event and I was tired. I had driven, I had just flown to Austin, done a gig. I drove four and a half hours to Houston you know, I'm just like, I just want to get, you know, you know, when you're on the road, you just you get the hotel, you just, you just want to get to your hotel. And, <laughs> yeah. and so, and, you know, and so your jackass tolerance is at negative five, like you just, you have no tolerance for anybody, which turns you into a jackass. And, and I'm in the line at the hotel and I'm waiting to check in and, and a person becomes available. And like, with, like within a half second, the guy behind me taps my shoulder and says, Hey, she's available. And I'm just like, and I turn around and I'm like, <laughs> And I'm like, I can see that. Man. And then I turn back around and I'm like, wait, is, am I going to throw down with somebody? <laughs> like, I'm so, I was so at my, my, my jackass of, of tolerance uh, uh, level was, was not non-existent. And of course, then I realized this guy's probably attending the conference I'm a speaker at. And I'm just like, <laughs> it's, not, it's not a good day for me to go to fisticuffs like any day would be anyways. Right. But like, and then. We take it out like, like our whole we get down to like, like we have nothing left in the tank and then we end up taking it out on the people who are the front lines of these businesses, the, the check in clerk, the, the server at the restaurant, the valet somewhere. And, and then we take it on the people who have no no say in policies at a company. They, have, they did not instruct this thing that's upsetting you. And, and we take it out on them. And so the whole actual angle of the book is just be kind. And, and look at things differently. You know, somebody didn't cut you off because they're, they're, they're old or they're young or they're a millennial. They, they cut you off maybe because they didn't see you. 
Right. You know, and, and it's just a very quick shift of perception that can change it. Like in the book we talk about now, because I, I, you know, I was notoriously, I was one of those drivers. I was just, I'm just angry at people because they're not turning right on red quick enough or they're, they're stopping in a lane where they don't have to stop or whatever that is. And now if somebody's upsetting me in the car, I just sing, I just sing out. So I'm like, why don't you turn right on the red? I'm just like, I just like, I make it a show tune, right? So I'm still getting it out, but I'm singing. So I can't take myself seriously when I'm doing a Broadway version of a, of a song or something. So it it actually snaps me out of it. And that's the whole thing is these little things. How can you take yourself out of that jackass cycle in your mind? And then we become just a better, a better place because everybody has a story and everybody has a struggle and everybody's going through something. But for some reason, if we don't know the person, if we don't put a name on a person, we can treat them in our minds whatever way we want. And I, I just think if we realize, because if you cut some or somebody cut you off and then you realize it's your friend's grandmother and you're like, oh, 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 that's OK. We give the benefit of the doubt to these to the people that we can we would know or see again. But total strangers, we're willing to write them off all as horrible people. And that's just not a way to get through life. Man, that's so good. Really good. Like the shift of perception. I love that. Yeah. That's that's actually what my book Pivot and Go is about. Is the, the yeah. shift your perception. And but that's it. But that's all. But that's all we have. Right? That is it. All yeah. we have is our perception of things, and that's the only thing because that's the only thing we can change. And if you've ever taken communications in high school or or at college or university, you'll know the basic communication model which is there's the sender of a message that's the an individual and and you have your own things you attach to the message we have our own biases and previous history and everything whatever it is and then you send the message so you could be speaking to somebody texting emailing whatever tweeting and in the middle of all that there's the there's all the noise that gets in the way yep all the things that can happen the current political climate the 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 the, the, the recent uh, the, the, your sports team losing last night, whatever it is, all goes through it, and then you receive it. So the sender encodes a message and you decode it in your own way, but you never receive it the way the sender intent. Yeah. Never, we never receive it the way. And that's how we, because that's perception and how we perceive things. And that's a big thing to realize. Man, it's like the old game telephone. And it's exactly how it is. It's never received. Yeah. But it's in our own, but it's in our own head. That's the thing. Telephone can be one person. To one person, it doesn't have to go down seven people down the line to have broken telephone. Your brain plays broken telephone because it has to fit all of our own narratives. And so, when somebody comes up to you and, and says, you know, uh, uh, hey, you know, if somebody comes up to me and says, hey, you know, oh, you look great. Like I had somebody say that to me at an event a month ago. Oh, you, wow, you look great. You know, did, did you lose weight? And in my head, I'm like, <laughs> was I fat? <laughs> That's you really know, funny. so somebody's trying to somebody's trying to compliment yeah. you, but you're like, oh, what did I look like before? <laughs> That's yeah, so true, man. I took I was a communications major, and you just literally taught me more than I learned all of my <laughs> college career. <laughs> Must be those Western boy <laughs> uh, degrees they give. Uh, me, so. The the tuition uh, tuition bills on the way. <laughs> yeah, I owe you, and so does Brene Brown. We both owe you. <laughs> All right, man, before we let you out of here, we got to throw you on the hot seat. So whatever comes to your mind, quick answers, yeah. whatever it might be. Do you have any favorite mindset quotes or uh, certain sayings that you live by that you might have on your fridge? Anything that you really, really love in that state? Man, I have one tattooed on my arm. Even better. My, it says, uh, my life is my message from Gandhi. 
amazing. And that's on, that's on, that's on my arm. And I wake up and see it every single morning. And I, because I saw the quote when I was doing a, a speaking gig in New Delhi and I went to Gandhi's a huge hero of mine. And I went to his ashram where he was assassinated and I walked his final steps where they're in concrete and you walk right up to the shrine and then you walk into the ashram and his, his deathbed is right there. And there's a quote hanging over it. And that's the quote. My life is my message. Man, that's and awesome. I saw it. I saw it and I was frozen. I was frozen when I saw it. And I just said, I, that's it. That, that's what I live my life by. And I just think because I think that what we do, how we act mm -hmm. is our message. It's not about saying we're authentic or saying we're this or that. It's what we do. I think it's authenticity is a verb. And that when I saw that, I flew home and I got it tattooed on my arm that, that week. Man, you know what? I think that's why I was so drawn into you and like just attracted to you when we when we met is because you like mm -hmm. I already said you are authentic and we'll meet a lot of people in this space I have you have that looks like they're trying to put something on they're trying to be something that mm -hmm. and it just like you can just smell it on them it's terrible yeah well and I think that one of the one of the issues is I, I don't I'm as I get I'm getting older man I'm 44 and I'm just like you know what I, I realize I used to be, even 10 years ago, everything to me was black and white. That's how I built a brand. I was very strong in stances on stuff, and I fully believe them. And I still fully believe them, but I realize the world is gray. Yeah, The world is gray and situations. So sometimes I see people who are, 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 are doing kind of fake things because they're fake people, and they're doing it for the wrong reasons. And then I see some people trying to do certain things because they think, they, because they've been told this is the way you're supposed to do it. And I want those people to hear that when you try to manufacture something or an authenticity, which sounds like a, it's the worst phrase ever, manufactured authenticity. <laughs> but when you go, like you try to be like, you know, on I see it in speaking a lot where they're going like, I can be more edgy on stage because edgy sells now or this. So. And I'm like, well, no, you've, you've been kind of instructed. You've been misguided. And I just think that people sometimes it's really hard to feel like you have permission to be you because we don't think we are good enough to be us. Yep. And, uh, and I think if you are your authentic self, you have no competition. Man, I love that so much. It's one of the biggest things I stand for. Just be you. Like yes. it's, it's the most freeing thing you can ever have when you can just realize you can be you. You don't have to yeah. apologize for it. And that's I mean, just, just how it is. And, and there's, there's a caveat here, though, too, because people see how I like I wear jeans on stage and a, a, like a black polo shirt. And like I don't wear a suit or tie. And I wear my... My, my just my boots and, and people are like well look what you wear on stage and I'm like listen that's a place of privilege if yes. I wasn't getting gigs and it was because of what I wore I would wear a tuxedo <laughs> like if, absolutely you know what I mean if I if I wasn't getting gigs man I would do whatever it takes because yep. my authenticity is is only there's levels of it like if I was authentic it like fully authentic I wouldn't wear pants anywhere like I'm just like that's that's fully authentic to me it's it's not about whether or not we can be, because there's versions of authentic, we can be true to ourselves and still do what we have to do until the point where we can be fully ourselves, and which is where I am now. But in a year from now, if I'm not getting booked, I'm like, well, what what will help me get booked? And if it's because I'm too edgy, then I will take it down a notch because look, my family comes first, and providing for them comes first. And the and the, and the thing that Scott likes to wear jeans and a polo because I can pack for three weeks on the road on a carry on, <laughs> you know, is, 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 is cool. But man, if it stopped me from providing for the family, I would switch that up. 
Man, we could go five weeks with if you didn't wear pants. Just think of how much. Yeah, right. I know. Hey, you you want to get on stage together? We'll do some talks without pants. I like I guarantee it'll catch on <laughs> in some way. It'll end your career, or it'll you get fired up even un-pants. more. Unpants. Yeah, unpants. Yeah. Unpants. But I got two more books for you that you should write. First impressions. You should write a book about first impressions because I'm sure mm-hmm. you get a lot when you step mm-hmm. on stage and people are like mm-hmm. the heck. And mm-hmm. and you should write the Jackass Whisper too. Two days spent in L.A. That'll get, that'll get plenty <laughs> for you, man. Well, our, so of course, our, our working title for the next one is Jackass Whisperer 2, Electric Boogaloo. But um, <laughs> it's, it's of course, uh, yes, it's like L.A. Uh, L.A., you can have your own version of the book. It's quite, uh, it is quite something out there, yeah. But, but, I, but you understand that to write the book Jackass Whisperer, Allison and I have to admit right from the beginning that we are the biggest jackasses we know. Because that's, that's, the, that's the only way you can do it, is, is saying, look... You can't because that's a mistake authors and speakers make. They're like, you're all doing this. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, no, no, I'm the first one to come out and go. My opening line in every talk I give is like, do you want me to explain the man bun now or at the end? Like, it's, it's just like I, <laughs> self, self-awareness is such a nope. rare thing to see these days. And I just, you know, I want to be the first to say I'm, I'm the one. I'm the problem, you know, and it, because it works. And it's, and it's true. true. And it's, it's true, but it, 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 that's what brings your authentic, authenticism. Yeah. Sure. Uh, what does what does leaving a legacy mean to you? Not necessarily in the sense of seeing your name on a billboard or a street sign right. hundreds of years now, but what does leaving a legacy ring to you? You get, I, I don't. It's you get to this this point, and I just I don't know if it's this almost like this. You're almost like midpoint and you know, uh, of my life or wherever it is, but you certainly start thinking about this type of stuff and. And our legacy is is for us obviously is our is our combined five kids and 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 seeing them and at the end of the day, as a parent, every, and I've been doing this this quote parenting thing <laughs> cool. to, for about twenty you know, for about twenty years now, and I keep re-upping every year. And, um, but if, <laughs> but but if, but it's this thing of at the end of the day, and I, I hope any parent who's listening to this now agrees with it. At the end of the day, as parents, all you want for your kids is for them to be okay. Not, it doesn't have to be super successful all the time or super happy or it's yeah. just you want them to be fundamentally okay. And that's our legacy. And our legacy now is we have five kids from all different backgrounds and different personalities and they're all okay. And awesome. um, and that and that's that's all that matters to, to Allison and I. And we're also so fortunate that, you know, we get to 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 work and live and breathe together because she's also my favorite person in the world. But at the end of the day, our lives aren't right if the kids aren't okay. And that's, 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 that's legacy to me. I couldn't care less about Twitter followers, book sales, none of that. Best, best sellers. Like I got inducted to the Speaking Hall of Fame Man. two summers ago. And that's the coolest thing in the world. But that doesn't mean anything if the kids aren't okay. Man, that's such a beautiful answer. I wish, I wish everybody could have your mindset on that, man. It's just, it's just that's well, I, literally I just, what life's about. I, we, but I think that we, because one of the problems is too, to be perfectly kind of candid with you is we go through these things in life and we get, you know, when really scary things happens or we lose somebody or something jarring or, or traumatic happens, that's the only time we re- we look at things and say, I got to get it together. Or I got to, you know, like we only tell people we love them or we regret we don't when we, when they're no longer here. And man, I, I, I tell the kids I love them as much as I can. Allison and I tell each other, we love each other. I'm telling you, Fifteen to twenty times a day, man. And 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 I cannot, you know, I I want to I want to be here for a very long time. I want to have great grandchildren, but 
you know, whenever that day comes, I don't have any regrets even now. I, I know that I, I love the kids as hard as possible. I love Allison as hard as possible. I can walk into any room in this world and know that nobody would treat her better. And she, and she knows that the other way. And, and that's, that's, that's the life I wanted to build. And it hasn't always been that way. But it's so refreshing to hear that and that, you know, like, you know, that, and that's how you live. Like me and my wife tell everybody, we, the honeymoon stage is never going to end. And it sounds like you guys, <laughs> but, same like, thing, man. People just create connotations and sayings that people think they have to live by. But man, it's the no. un unmarriage, the unparenting. More books for you. God, just filling you with ideas. Tell us, tell There's us no how lack. all of us can follow you. How can we follow all that you're doing? Yeah. Um, the uh, so uh, unmarketing on most of the platforms, Instagram and yep. Facebook and, and, and Twitter, and then Allison is. Um, uh, on Allison on Twitter and Allison Robin on Instagram and then Jackass Whisper is uh, jackasswhisper.com or wherever fine books are sold and we're having fun man we're excited for this launch and um you know, we're going to see how it goes man you are having fun that's just great i am it just seems I like every time fun. i talk to you it just seems like you're having fun and you juice me up i'm always yeah, juiced that... up and talking to you just juices me up even more well, what's the what's the point of doing all this stuff man exactly. if we can't enjoy it for sure right and the last question we got for you before you let you off this on the One Percenter podcast, what does One Percenter, being a One Percenter, mean to you? Well, it's, a, it's a really good question because, yes. you know, you have this, this angle of what it takes to be in a One Percent. Like, I've always, um, the One Percenter stuff in my world is like, I'm in the One Percenter of cranium size. Literally, I'm not making this up. My, I might... <laughs> The physical circumference of my head is, is probably in the top one percent of the world, and it, it brings up buying hats is an issue for me. Um, um, not brain size, just skull. And uh, but for one percent, I think one of the things is like where I take one percent is that my goal isn't to be in the one percent of somebody else's group. My goal is to be in the one percent of my own ability. So I know when I'm get all when I'm finally like I know when I can give most of my effort to something, most of my attention. It's that last percent. That's what 1% is to me where like I'm with the kids and I'm like, well, I have my phone and I'm like, I'm on my phone a bit, but we're hanging out with the kids. And I'm like, you know what? If I put that phone away, I am a hundred percent with them. So I have a totally different view on the phrase 1% because the 1% to me is that last percent we need to give to make it fully committed to something. And I know it's a totally different than what, what, what a 1% usually technically is, but I'm like the 1% is what we're missing. That last step to fully commit, to fully pay attention, to fully love, to fully do is that last point. And that's what separates everybody to me, is that final, that, this final push. Because everybody, everybody will go and people will give up and they'll hit, yeah. they'll hit roadblocks, they'll hit this, they'll hit that. But it's those that are like, you know what? Screw it. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. This is who I'm loving. This is what I'm creating. This is what I'm making. It's the ones that can push through that last step of adversity, that last struggle, that keep hanging on, that are the ones that are the 1% to me. Dude, such a good answer. The relentless consistency of just pursuing your passion without, without caring about the balance and just, man, absolute all out. Love it, dude. Thank, Thank you man. so much for coming on the one percenter podcast. You are definitely a one percenter, Scott. I am definitely a jackass. Um, <laughs> I appreciate they're, and they're one of the, by the way, the Venn diagram of one percent and jackasses is, is just a circle over each other. Like it's the same thing anyway. So yes. And me and you are in the overlapping in between. <laughs> Bingo.
Big time, thank you for joining me on the One Percenter Podcast. Hopefully you took something away from today that you can implement into your own life. Hope you all have a great week. Thank you for supporting the One Percenter Podcast. Go out there and do something for somebody. Change somebody's life. If you change one life, that is leaving a legacy. The rest is gravy on top. Remember, life is a journey. Enjoy it. David Nurse, One Percenter Podcast, signing off.